Hello and welcome to uh, Bondi Nights. It's a podcast recorded in the suburb of Bondi at night. And, you know, I think this week, I just want to get right into it. Um, there's a phenomenon on free-to-air television uh, of funny panel shows. I believe it's derived from British shows uh, with comedians that they just basically have these shows where they're answering questions maybe like about current events but then they will deliberately do sort of funny answers that are incorrect but gets the crowd going you know the crowd's loving it it's not really it's sort of like that look uh whose line is it anyway vibe where they're not really playing the game seriously it's just a sort of pretext to be funny and you know I got nothing really that's not true I do have something against these shows and that's why I'm talking about it I don't like these shows the reason I don't like these shows, it, it's kind of, I, th- I feel like it's tied up with a more general dislike for English comedy. Like, the English, I think, in general, aren't very good at stand-up comedy. Uh, and, of course, there are exceptions. There's always exceptions. I, I don't think that if you're English, you can't be a good stand-up comedian. Of course, that's not true. But they don't really excel in that format. You know, the, the English style is, is, you know, immortalized by the, the skit or the sketch. You know, like Monty Python or uh, the Mighty Boosh. That, was that sketch no this is like a show but they do have a sketch show uh like a live kind of sketch thing i think yeah it's that kind of thing but the the whole idea of of straight men and 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 setting you up for laughs that that to me is an inferior form of comedy uh i do feel like the stand-up uh, comedy is is a pure and sort of um, yeah superior form, and uh, the 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 thing that always sticks in my memory when I'm thinking about why I really don't like the the English panel shows, the the funny talk shows, is that quiz show that plays around Christmas time. It's like the year's big quiz or something. It plays basically every year on free-to-air TV. And it's always the same kind of people every year. And it's fun when, you know, there's there's some people that I like, like, um... What's his name? Richard Awadi and... 
uh, Noel Fielding and um, Russell Brand. Yeah, Russell Brand and Noel Fielding used to be a team on this show at one point, and then Russell Brand kind of became international, and he stopped going on the show, I guess, because he was living in the U.S., but he would still uh, do, like, a cameo, I guess is what you call it, where he, um, he'll call into the show and he'll ask a question for the panel, and... The but but I remember him him doing his little shtick, where he was talking about he was he was giving the setup to the question, and he said something like, he's like, oh go ahead and do your funny one, you know that isn't that doesn't really matter, but then but then do the real give the real answer, you know, and it's like, man, you just gave away this whole this whole thing. It, it's it's like kind of ruined the whole thing because it, it's really laying bare the whole the whole point of the show the show where they're deliberately doing these dumb answers and it's almost like if he hadn't come out and said it that maybe it would have been okay and I would have just like been okay with this obvious pretense but the 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 fact that he just came out with and and admitted that that's the whole the the whole game yeah i've never really looked at these shows in the same way ever since and um it reminds me of this uh concept of the big other i was listening to or i was reading a book called capitalist realism by mark fisher and he was talking about this concept of the big other, which is this idea in uh, Lacan, Lacanian structuralism that there's a there's like a fictitious exterior audience to the population that you can't really that you assume is ignorant and or has like less than perfect knowledge of the true state of affairs and a good example of this uh is that Zizek gives is of like stalinism and stalin was all about concealing the weaknesses of the soviet economic model from foreign observers and so the idea was that like the population weren't allowed to criticize socialism because the government didn't want the big others to know but the whole point is like everyone knew but the fact that they could just posit a big other that didn't know meant that everyone kind of had to keep up this charade that it it worked when it when it didn't and then like a equivalent of this in like a capitalist context was this guy uh 
I can't remember his name. Maybe it was like Rathna. He he was a CEO of this big jewelry company, which was like Ratners or Rathners in 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 England, I think. And um, it was just like this really shitty quality jewelry. And apparently, one uh, at like some dinner or gala or something, the guy like admitted that the jewelry was garbage and uh and it was just a bunch of junk and then like this whole company went bankrupt because everyone stopped buying his jewelry and and the point that Mark Fisher makes is that the public already knew that the the jewelry was garbage but the fact that he said it, he, 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 he made the implicit explicit was like, it lifted a veil on people. It kind of, I guess it's like sort of indig, it made them indignant that like they would be lied to, even though they knew exactly what was going on. I thought it was an interesting concept and one that I feel was very much, uh, how I was demystified about these panel talk shows by Russell Brand. Perhaps a tenuous link, but, you know, this is Bondi Nights. It's very late at night, and I'm feeling a little bit loopy, and all this stuff makes sense in my head as I say it. Alright, the next thing I want to talk about is a book I read quite recently. Um, it was a book called Seinfeldia, and it was a book on Seinfeld, the show, sort of like a, a biography of the show, if you will. And I had already the thing about this sh this book was I already like knew most of it already, because for the most part it was just interviewing like the cast and crew and writers and creators of Seinfeld and most of the stuff they say in the interviews that were used to make the book was also what they said in the Seinfeld DVD special features where there were interviews and uh, you can watch all that stuff on YouTube, which is where I watched it, by the way. Uh, and so the the book wasn't particularly illuminating to me, but I did pick up some stuff, a few things that I didn't know before. Specifically, um, one thing that I was kind of surprised about was how elite, elitist the Seinfeld writing staff were. Apparently, it was all Harvard boys writing this show about nothing, which I thought was very surprising because Seinfeld it doesn't strike you as, like, the most intelligent show, which maybe I'm just... Maybe that's a very controversial statement, you know, because obviously Seinfeld 
in terms of like how layered the plots are of obviously it, it it was very you know it was a revolutionary kind of thing for the time to have these plots that are interwoven and all this stuff kind of gets resolved in the end um so obviously yeah you you do need quite a talented writing staff to make these episodes and it and it, it's a very funny show so it's not I'm not saying that it's a, it's a dumb show like compared to most of the garbage you know uh sitcoms like Big Bang Theory and you know shows like that Young Sheldon um it's you know it's fucking like Einstein, but, um, yeah, no, I, I, I was surprised to hear that it was just, like, exclusively guys from Harvard writing for <laughs> Seinfeld, yeah, that, that struck me as interesting, um, and even more than that, apparently, you know, there was this, quite a lot of criticism in the cultural journalism press of Seinfeld at the time about it being a kind of yuppie show, like that that yuppies were really into which again i was like that's a little bit you know because you wouldn't really necessarily associate guys like kramer or george you know kind of like losers really with like these powerful young business and corporate types um but you know, the, uh, an interesting anecdote that came out from the show was how Seinfeld, the, the, one of the writers from Seinfeld got in this beef with Roseanne Barr, who was the, uh, the, the main character in the show Roseanne, which was the kind of working class show of the 80s, um... And very long, maybe, I don't know if it was that long running, but yeah, let's say it started in the late 80s and it had John Goodman in it. And um, the thing about Roseanne, yeah, was that it was a working class show and Roseanne was like uh, pissed off because one of the Seinfeld writers parked in her car spot or something at the NBC lot. And so she, I think she left like an angry note on the car that called them a bunch of fucking yuppie Harvard assholes or something. Because she's like, you know, this working class woman that hates yuppies. And, um, and you know, this kind of came out a, a couple of times in the book. Like, there was a lot of criticism of Seinfeld for being... Um, these kinds of what are called homo reaganus or like the well essentially yeah yuppies uh that emerged in the reagan era and these were people who specifically didn't have any like families which is you know if you're young and professional quite common um they didn't have responsibilities and Obviously, they had jobs, but it was more the sense that they lacked sort of social consciousness or any kind of, like, wider, um, you know, sense of responsibility or duty to anything other than themselves. And, and that's kind of understandable when you, when you 
see a show like Seinfeld, like it it actually does have some very strong yuppie vibes. Um Yeah, and, and I guess that was to me it's always really fascinating reading these critiques of yuppies that came out in like the especially in the eighties and nineties. Um because like you don't really get a lot of you don't hear a lot of yuppie hate in the 2020s you know or the 2010s uh it seems like a very dated expression you know it's like really the the term that we use now would be like i guess hipsters the closest thing that we have but it's not really the same um, so I guess yuppie still is there, it fit, it fits the, the description, but at the same time, like, that was a real thing back in the 80s and 90s, like, hating on yuppies, but now I just feel like it's, it's just so, such a much more accepted part of our culture, and, um, and it's like, I remember this episode of uh, Portlandia. It's in fact, it's the very opening scene of the pilot of Portlandia, which which is really it sets the tone of the show. And what happens is like some guy from the '90s, presumably a guy who maybe was at the um, the like WTO protests in Seattle. You know, he like somehow is. It, he he's he's flashed forward in time to present day or whenever that show came out uh Portland Oregon and he's he's sort of doing doing this protest against yuppies and he's like you know yuppie scum like we hate yuppies and then and then he runs into Fred Armistead who's like the guy in Portlandia and and um what's her name Carrie something uh I've the girl basically and um and and he's and he's like he's like what what are you talking about why and he's like yeah yuppies are the worst and he's like what do what do you mean man like the whole world is like this now you know and and that was so interesting like that juxtaposition between the the vibes in the late 90s even as late as the late 90s early 2000s and now you know because i don't know man it's definitely you know we don't get a lot a lot of hate for yuppies at least in bondi they're sort of an accepted thing maybe if you go a bit further out then there's more hate and maybe it's just they've found different words to to call them uh but yeah, no, I I thought that was very interesting, and uh, and maybe we maybe we need to bring that back, you know, yuppie yuppie hate, you know, maybe it's what our um present uh, political discourse is missing. Um, and the next thing I want to talk about is uh, you remember when you're a kid and there were these shoes that sort of light up as you walk. You know, I, I think I saw like an, a pair of shoes do this the other day. 
and it was a kid's shoes, kid's pair of shoes, and I was just like, why isn't this something that adults have ironically? Why, why don't we have adult shoes that light up? Because, and maybe even have like a little switch to turn it off if you're in a sort of serious setting where it's not appropriate, but like, this seems like too, too ironic to not be done. Um, and, you know, like maybe Nike or, or, or Yeezys need to really get on this. Because I remember as a kid, that was the fucking coolest thing, man. If your shoes lit up when you walked, that was sick. That was like... Basically, you were the guy at the movie theater who was, um, who was like, lighting the way for people, you know, when it's really dark and you, you don't, um, you don't, like, know where you're going, which seat is yours. You're basically that guy. Your, your shoes are lighting the way for, for people in the dark. And... Yeah, like, if, if I could get a pair of shoes that did that, and that I could turn off, because you don't always want them to be like that. But if I could do that... The thing is, like, I, even as I say it, I'm probably... I would probably have them on for just, like, a little while, and then I would turn them off, and then I would never turn them on again. So, maybe... Maybe in... in it's not... It's not as as good as it seems, but yeah. Um, the other thing I guess that I wanted to talk about is the show, or I maybe keeping this in a sort of retro '90s nostalgic theme. I, last year during the COVID, uh, I had a bit of downtime, and I wanted to like binge watch do a bit of binging, you know, because I know that that's something that the kids are into. I just wanted to, you know, relate. And um, did a bit of binging. And I binged an interesting show. Probably not the one that most people would go go with. I, I, I binged a show called Dawson's Creek, which I had never really watched before. But I didn't binge, like, the whole show. I only binged, really, the first few seasons, like, when it was still strong 90s vibes. And I really felt like, man, this show was a fucking, like, so far, so ahead of its time. You know, you, you look at shows like The O.C. that came along in the early 2000s. Right on the heels of Dawson's Creek. Like, you know when you, you when you have, like, this band that you love, and you think, oh man, this band was so original. It's like, how could anyone, you know, make music like this? And then you hear, like, the band that influenced them, and, you were like, and then you're like, oh, okay. Actually, they, they maybe did a little twist on this, but... They weren't, like, mega geniuses or anything. That's sort of how I look at the OC now that I've seen Dawson's Creek. Because at the time that I was, you know, I must have been, like, in year seven, so I was, like, 13. 
I was, you know, I was an OC head. Like, I, I was loving the OC, watching it every week. Uh, and, but I, I you know, I, I didn't realize that so much of it was quite derivative off Dawson's Creek. I watched the OC, interestingly, I watched the OC with my nannies, because um, I had a nanny that would, you know, hang out with me while my parents went on a date. They had a date night, and then I, so that was Tuesday night, which was also the night that the OC was on Channel 10. Um, so I watched that, and it kind of reminded me of, like, way, way back in the day when I was just a little kid uh, in primary school. I had a nanny who, she was kind of like a, she was kind of like a hot nanny, and... I remember like being like, "Whoa, okay, gotta gotta act cool around this nanny, you know, want to impress her." So she was. We were watching. I think my sister had already gone to bed at this time. She was younger than me, so it was just me and the nanny basically just hanging out, watching TV, and I didn't have to go to sleep yet. Um, and then so we were watching. TV and we she puts on Dawson's Creek, you know, and I remember just feeling like, oh, I'm not allowed to see this, but she's letting me see it, and so I felt a little bit like we were doing something kind of like uh, against the rules together. That's that's pretty exciting, and then she so in the in the scene of Dawson's Creek, Dawson was um Dawson was like buying condoms from his, like, local, um, you know, drugstore, as they say in the U.S., or, like, chemist. And he knows the chemist because it's a small town. And so he's really awkward about it. And so my, the nanny was, the, my nanny was really, like, laughing quite heavily at this because it's of the, the awkwardness, right? And I started laughing, um... And she's like, do you know what a condom is? And I was like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I don't think she asked me what it was, but I, she probably knew that I was just lying. Um, but uh, yeah, that, it's funny. I was just thinking about that quite recently, and that, that memory just came flooding back. And I was like, you know how it's like it only takes like a little stimulus, and then you remember like whole chunks of your life that you thought you didn't even remember and that was an interesting one uh so yeah i i uh i think that's that's it for this episode um particularly late at night i have to say um so maybe it's a little bit a little bit more dreamy in in tone than you're used to but i had fun um so I hope you enjoyed it, and please um, follow the podcast uh, on Spotify and email me on bondinights at gmail.com. If you want to just talk, or if you have a question, or if you have a comment, um, a suggestion even, anything. Uh, but otherwise, you know, just take it easy and have a good, have a good uh, day or night, and uh, come back again soon. I'll have more episodes up. All right. Bye.